Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you, everyone um, in the room. It's a fantastic day for us to be um, present and here in the panel of Capsuling. Thank you for the invite in this uh, wonderful Georgian heritage building right in the heart of London, in the Pall Mall, where you would, one would confidently say the majority of the ship brokers and the investors and the shipping industry are present. So um, I am joined today by a fantastic panel. Um, I'm really sorry that this panel has 80 years plus of experience and I'm probably not even half of their age. So, uh, but I am very honored today to be joined by Nicolas Duran of Burnley Securities, who are a partner today in sponsoring the Capital Link Forum here in London, Richard Moore, who is present here from Ascension Finance and also RMK Marine. And for those who probably do not know Richard, he is a livery man <laughs> of the, um, what's the, name of the company? Worshipful Company of Shipwrights. And it's a company that is actually supported by the Duke of Edinburgh. Mm. And I'm also joined today by George uh, Kamnabis, who is also, so, sorry, from George Kambanis, I apologize for that, of Yield Street Marine Finance, who uh, would very proudly say, and I would also say, has set up one of the big four offices right in the heart of the shipping industry in Athens, Greece. So thank you so much today. And I would like to start by giving each of my esteemed panelists a chance to explain what it is that they actually offer to the shipping industry and also what it is that they are offering to their own investors to still keep the shipping industry in the finance aspects of it a very interesting one and is different to the banks, is different to the other private equity or the capital markets. Um, can I start with you, George? Sure, thanks. So, uh, Yield Street uh, is creating a fairer world of finance by offering uh, investors high-yield uh, debt products online. Um, we have a balance sheet and we fund uh, assets uh, across various asset classes, uh, we do art, we do vendor financing, we do real estate bridge financing, and marine. Uh, we fund the ship, uh, the owner takes uh, possession, and we then socialize that dead product online. And um, a few weeks later, we open it up for uh, distribution. Investors can invest um, as little as $10,000. These are US accredited investors. The last um, offering, uh, we did the marine offering, was uh, in June. We did it live in New York at a conference. And um, it was $8.5 million. And it sold in 12 seconds. So, we started about a year ago. Uh, the platform had around 300 million of assets under management uh, and uh, 50,000 uh, subscribers. Today, the platform has over a billion dollars of assets under management and 200,000 subscribers growing at 10,000 a month. And the platform has uh, embraced uh, Marine 
and we hope uh, in 2020 to put out another 500,000 of uh, 500 million of of debt, and um, in uh, just a little preview, I was speaking to Nicholas earlier. Uh, we'll uh, do a live launch in New York at Capital Link on October 15. So uh, whoever's there uh, will enjoy the show. <laughs> so that's a sort of an overview of what we do. Very grateful. Thank you, uh, Richard. Yeah. Um, Pretty simple. Ascension Finance, it's uh, dedicated firstly in uh, lender in the shipping markets. Um, we have raised 300 million from various sources. We have captive to deploy in the shipping industry as firstly in debt. Um, and we focus on long-term relationships, um, helping owners with providing them with the necessary capital for structural efficiency and to grow their fleets. So we're working with those owners who uh, are non-corporate credits, um, who struggle to raise debt from the conventional banks. Um, we like to keep our loans pretty simple. I think the shipping markets are difficult enough as it is. Um, so keeping borrowing simple on familiar terms is really where our focus is. Thank you. Nicholas? Yes, uh, I work for Friendly Securities. I had the asset-backed finance team there. Uh, what we do is um, obviously a little bit different from, uh, from uh, the two gentlemen here. Uh, we, uh, as a call it intermediary, uh, try to arrange the best solution for our clients. Now, that can range from the corporate credits that do have access to senior debt from the traditional lenders, all the way down to the you know, privately owned chip owning companies with a very small uh, balance sheet uh, and everything in between. What we try to do is take a slightly different approach from you know, many of our competitors. We think we have a product which is um, maybe better structured in many ways. So we always have as a starting point uh, our clients' needs. And sometimes that could be freeing up uh, capital to create runway in the bad market. It could be freeing up uh, cash to recycle into new investments. Other times, it's just uh, optimizing the, um, the capital structure and the cost of capital on a WAC basis. So that really makes our job really interesting because uh, no two days are alike and no two deals are alike. So we do really cover a lot of ground, even though we're just three guys. That's very impressive. Um, how would you say that now we are nine months um, into this new calendar year, 2019? has been so far for each of your companies in that effect. You might share different experiences. I mean, we have heard from other people on the previous panels that some of them are a bit more skeptic, some of them are a bit more positive. But obviously, you guys are the ones that hold the pearl strings, and you can help to probably alleviate some of those pressures or that negativity or skepticism around it. So just starting with you, Nicholas. Yeah. Uh, look, asset-backed financing, has been and continues to be somewhat of a sort of niche, fragmented, undefined space. Uh, you know, I would say that the people that work primarily on that have kind of, at least in investment banking terms, kind of been the poor cousin, you know, sitting in the corner working on something strange. This year that hasn't been the case. We've been extremely busy in by finance, uh, whereas the traditional investment banking um, transactions have been fewer and far further between. 
obviously, as the previous panel said, you know, the equity markets are not really showing a lot of interest for shipping these days. The high yield market is somewhat open, but you know, asset backed finance is a uh, staple, which is, you know, the, it's a space where there's always activity because it's so fragmented. There's so many providers and there's always a taker for an asset backed finance solution. So there's always something interesting and an interesting project for you to be able to invest on. That's, that's our, our experience, yeah. That's good. And Richard, from your perspective, obviously you said that your borrowers prefer the simple documentation. Mm -hmm. Is that something that's really, really continued to be the attractive point? Yeah, I think um, I mean, we're on an alternative finance panel. I don't think we're really that alternative. Our, our scope and our ethos is to provide just a simple loan um, because I think that's what borrowers want and need. Um, I mean, if we look at the last sort of uh, 12 months, we've seen quite a, a varied, uh, increasing and diversified uh, sort of client base that have come to us, which I think is quite reflective um, of our product offering. Um, simplicity is, in our view, really the way we want to go. Um, and I think it's, it's uh, sort of proven out in, in the loans that we're looking at and the loans that we're documenting. That's good, thank you. And George, would you say, obviously, in, um, in your kind of platform, um, is, are those the kind of projects that 2019 has really attracted a vast number of investors? I mean, the figures are hugely impressive. And I think everyone in the audience would agree with that. Yeah, I would um, uh, agree with uh, Richard in that uh, alternative um, financing um, is, is growing. Uh, and if you think about it, um, banks today are lending to the names uh, largely. Um, and so the rest of the market um, really struggles to find money. And um, we like to think ourselves, each one is different, obviously, these alternative finance all have different. Uh, angles, but uh, ourselves, we think of ourselves as situational funders, uh, and where there is a opportunity for the ship owner to make money, um, we are flexible and uh, we can structure the um, debt product to suit the ship owner because the ship owner has to make money to pay us. Uh, and. To, for us to pay our investors. So uh, we have a very well-defined credit box and we can very quickly look at something and say yay or nay. And once we say we're gonna go with it, um, we can fund it uh, in pretty quick order. So, uh, and then, then the rest of the, uh, once funded, it's all done online. We have the technology uh, platform, uh, the interest, that gets paid uh, hits the bank on a, every month and 800 investors get their share uh, and there's no human intervention. So it, it's uh, a very efficient way to uh, give people with deposits access to some decent returns. So our source of capital is trillions of dollars of people's deposits. Uh, and uh, we can make their money work uh, efficiently and uh, profitably for them by giving uh, ship owners and other lenders uh, um, 
quick access to money that they need to take uh, an opportunity. Thank you. I think, I think just to add to that, I think there is no mystique behind alternative lending, whether you're arranging or whether you're lending directly. I think it's just, you know, we can offer more flexibility than I think the conventional banks um, to hit the markets that we're trying to hit. And I think that's really the, the, the simplicity of it. Well, that brings me on to the next question because the perception, um, generally speaking anyway, is that alternative finance is more expensive than a traditional bank finance. Um, some of the operators and the owners would strongly disagree with it um, because, of course, if there is a um, higher rate of interest, for example, there is, on the other hand, more flexibility or the simplicity or also lower costs, as you say, George, and the fact that there is no human intervention, so there is no back cost onto the borrowers. Uh, what would you say um, in response to that? Well, first of all, I think it's a huge misconception that it's generally more, or that it necessarily is more expensive. Uh, I think that, um, you know, this whole alternative finance, or asset finance space that is constantly growing is to a large degree uh, nurtured by the fact that there's a huge credit arbitrage in the market at the moment. You know, it's been said earlier, there's very strong flight to quality among the large lenders. All the traditional big lenders, they all want to lend to the same exclusive group of ship owners. That means that there is a very strong pricing pressure downwards on margin, on margins for a select few, and for everyone else, the cost is going up. What I think you see, and, and sort of the growth of companies like Ship Finance, Notion Yield, uh, illustrates this point that you know what they're doing is they're turning around, getting back leverage at attractive terms and they're making use of this credit arbitrage which basically you know you're taking asset risk but at this point in the cycle and on deals that are not 100% uh, LTV financed I think it's it's a pretty interesting uh, interesting proposition. So there is a bigger slice of the pie essentially left for the alternative finance and incorrectly has got this market misperception. Would I you agree with that? I just want to add one more thing that I think if you look at uh, some of the large credits, you know, we recently did a few deals for uh, or refinancings for one of the largest listed dry cargo companies that have very extensive access to the traditional lenders. We did a so-called alternative financing uh, or a few transactions for them because it turned out that you know on a whack basis they got cheaper money this way than going to the banks. Obviously, that's because this is higher up in the capital structure, so they got higher leverage. But, you know, I'd still say that on those deals, we're talking south of uh, L plus 250 uh, on deals that are substantially more leveraged than, than, uh, than the banks can give. And so it's not necessarily more expensive. Richard. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I think um, people say it could be competitive um, to traditional bank funds. It's not. I think it's complementary because market forces determine what pricing people obtain. So. If somebody come, can't get, um, let's say, a, a loan from, again, let's call it one of the conventional banks, then they have to look at alternative sources. So, you know, by virtue of that, the pricing fits their credit parameters and their, you know, corporate profile. So, I, you know, it's, I don't think it's more complicated than that. George, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I agree with um, to both Nicholas and Richard. That's twice but you've agreed with me. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> I've sat next to you long enough yeah. to argue. <laughs> so, so I would look at it uh, differently. You say the banks are lending to the names at preferential rates. 
um, they must be making their money somewhere. So um, those names are getting charged uh, for other things that the banks are giving them. So is it really preferential? And is alternative uh, finance really that expensive? It's just alternative finance comes with no hidden costs. We don't charge uh, anything other than what uh, the lender sees, uh, the borrower sees. So, and, and to put it differently, you know, I, I listen to bankers talk about uh, cost of borrowing when they pay uh, zero interest uh, to their depositors, and in some countries, negative interest. So what is that cost? Um, it's really just people stamping pieces of paper, uh, hundreds of them, and high street um, rents that is the cost of the inefficiency of today's banks. So um, the financial banking system, the way it is now, is, is pretty broken. And alternative finance comes to fix some of those uh, mismatches. Well, I would say that probably alternative finance is now actually viewed by everyone as a true competitor to banking finance as opposed to being just the missing cluster in the bigger picture here. Um, however, um, just to ask this question to you, George, and probably to Richard and Nicholas as well, do you find that with the um, diversification of the business of each of the borrowers, the ship finance has actually gone into more into the project finance or structured finance where there are also additional collateral being put as security in addition to just the actual vessel, just the ship. Do you find that that is more something that the borrowers are putting forward as part of the negotiation when they are approaching you on it? Yeah, uh, what we try and do is um, put uh, some uncorrelated value. Uh, for example, we would uh, fund older ships that banks won't do. So if we um, will scrap, maybe fund a scrap ship or an old ship that's going to be uh, used for another few years and um, use the earnings to bring it down to below scrap so that our principle is secure. Um, other times we are funding ship owners um, to buy back their debt from uh, the private equities that have bought the debt from banks. And there, these private equities have paid 30, 40 cents in the dollar for the debt. Uh, and if we can go with the ship owner and have the ready cash and give them 50 cents, uh, they make quick money and the ship owner can get their ships back and we give them uh, a year or two uh, short-term bridge financing to go and refinance those ships again uh, or sell some ships and pay us back. So it is that we look for um, a situation that can earn the ship owner a, a good return and uh, can earn our investors a good return too. Nicholas, do you find that you get asked by borrowers or interested third parties um, to go towards the route of project finance or structured finance with an enhanced security package? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think there's uh, elements of both 
so I don't think it's moving in one specific direction. Uh, I think it, as always, has to do with risk. You know, you do a deal for on high LTV for a niche asset, even on the lease. Most likely, the lessor is going to come and ask for additional security. We've seen lots of cases of that. Uh, on the other hand, we also see that you know, in some cases, companies that do have access to senior debt from traditional lenders decide to go and do alternative financing, or you know, in this specific example, I was thinking of a lease because there, uh, they don't have to give additional security, and they don't have uh, you know dividend restrictions, and they don't have additional covenants which which they would normally normally have from the banks. So, uh, so I think that uh, you see a bit of both. I think I've said this before when I was on this panel last year. This product, whatever you want to define it as, you know, uh, alternative finance, is just growing and growing and growing in both size and the creativity and complexity. So you're really finding solutions that fit any kind of credit anywhere in the capital structure. And, and that's what I think makes it so fascinating to work with. Thank you. And Richard, in your... Um well, the, the borrow base that you have, obviously you provide a lot of advisory services, is what RMK was initially mm. doing. Um, and do you find that you get asked by the borrowers to put forward bespoke structures for um, ship finance? Um, yes, I think um, we are approached and asked to look at more complex structures, and that's Certainly what we do in RMK, um, they can be very highly structured transactions. Um, specifically for Ascension, uh, we are just focusing on, on simplistic debt. It's bespoke products. It's, um, we look at that, that company, uh, all aspects of it. We don't necessarily need to have corporate guarantees supporting it. So it's on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, but it is once again showing that there is a, list, a lot more flexibility when approaching. Um, sorry, I have to call it alternative shoot finance. I just can't find any other name for it yeah. at the moment. No, it's, I think um, it's right. There's no, there's no, we have less restrictions than the, than the banks and therefore we are able to look at transactions differently and we can try to meet the requirements of the borrower um, in a much more efficient way. And in that respect, you'd probably say that the services that you are providing are more personal than just the corporate banking that probably one would find in the traditional ship finance because you look at the business of the borrower as a whole rather than just the individual needs for borrowing in that particular instance. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think all uh, those of us running Ascension in, in the company, we've all had more than 30 years sort of dedicated to shipping, um, which is quite painful to think about sometimes. Um, but, you know, it is relationship. We're here for the long term. We've been here for a long time. Um, so it is very much more relationship driven. Obviously, we look at the asset, we look at the credit, but it's a relationship business uh, to us. Thank you. Um, the next question is really around the IMO 2020 regulations, um, but with a completely different spin in the context of alternative ship finance. We have heard from the previous panels throughout the day from the operators, the banking uh, panel, and also from the experts in, in the industry and the IMO itself, that the cost to the operators and to the owners will be quite high in making those necessary modifications in order to be, by the 1st of January 2020, IMO compliant. Do you find that this has had an impact on the requests um, in, from the borrower's perspective in the alternative ship finance to try and raise that immediate cash 
which needs to be immediately accessible in order to carry out this immediate up, um, upgrade works in order to be compliant. I mean, 1st of January is only four months away, so what would you say about that? Um, we, we certainly have had incoming calls from companies, not now, but maybe three to six, nine months ago, that uh, have planned a scrubber program and wanted to free up some cash to finance that, uh, that capex. Um, so, so we've certainly seen that, but I think, on the other hand, sitting, if you know, you're seeing it from the lessor's uh, point of view, uh, I think that there are quite a few that are a bit concerned with what this te technology risk basically entails. You know, you kind of have this situation where brand new ships that are scrubber fitted are obviously okay, and ships that are getting closer to the end of their commercial life are also okay. It's totally different capital providers, but you know, but somewhere in between there, you've got this situation where you know people see the residual value risk of a ten-year-old chip as being extremely high, and uh, that's where we mostly see challenges uh, at the moment. That's right, because with most of the flags, for example, you will find that with, with the registries that and they will not register any flag with any vessel which is above fifteen years old. That in reality, when the vessel were initially built was you know, projected for 20, 25 years, and adding in the IMO 2020 regulations uh, modification just makes it even harder for those ship operators. I mean, do, do you find the same, George, for your um, um, requests from borrowers or interested parties? Or is that a concern for the investors when you put forward the prospectus, for example? Um, our funding um, is... Um, as I said previously, uh, more situational in that we fund older vessels, we fund buying back vessels. So uh, rarely does this uh, issue come into play. And um, it, it's not uh, something we've come across. Um, I think generally, you know, there's a lot of people looking at um, uh, coal and uh, LNG and the banks and the Poseidon. Uh, so it, my view is that the, the, over time, the world will become eco-friendlier. Uh, in Germany, I was reading yesterday, uh, fewer Germans want to buy uh, battery uh, electric cars. They still prefer gas guzzlers. Um, so there, there's so many things, uh, the airline industry, and there's, 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 the whole world is going in some direction. And, We've like over-focused on shipping, and a ship owner that has five or ten vessels, you know, what he's doing is just transporting stuff uh, in an older ship. So uh, he's just going to carry on doing that, and the world's just going to carry on getting better. And there's like, in my view, um, not something that um, uh, the the smaller and medium-sized uh, fleets are overly concerned about. It, they'll just be influenced by the bigger scheme of, things. scheme of things and the actual market. Following on from that, obviously, we have a lot of, um, you know, dark shadows in the ship finance, which never seem to be too far behind. For example, we've got the Trump effect, we've got Brexit. I am not going to talk about it. <laughs> I don't know what's happening with that. I think no one knows. Um, we have, obviously, um, the trade wars and the real wars and the sanctions. and. What would you think, um, or what would you um, suggest from your experience would be the single biggest threat to alternative ship finance? 
I think uh, definitely uh, a collapse in demand, uh, maybe followed by technology risk again. I think there's not the same provider of, of debt or, or any kind of financing to the shipping industry that would want to sit and take the residual uh, risk of all the new requirements and regulations that are coming in. You know, if you want to finance a ship and you know that there's a balloon in year seven or 10 or whatever, you're going to do everything you can to mitigate the risks involved with you know, new regulations. Uh, so I think demand is probably the main concern. You know, these are uncertain times. And then secondly, it's uh, uh, IMO 2020 and everything following after that. Richard? Yeah, I think all of those points you mentioned, I mean, macroeconomics, the Trump effect, now the sort of probably the Boris Johnson effect, all these sort of things are, you know, can have an impact. So anything that impacts um, trade and therefore rates will affect finance. Um, but I have to say, I think the, the one of the concerns we have is if there is an increasing amount of finance available to the market, which is not quite so regulated in, in the sense, and that encourages more, let's say, you know, ordering more transactions, then that's a risk of shipping because we move back into an oversupply potential situation that we fought very hard uh, to get out of. Some of it by default, we've, you know, it's just a situation we're all in. Um, the people haven't ordered more vessels, that's great. But we don't want too much more capital available and everyone starts ordering. In our view, that's, that's uh, a concern to finance. I just want to add one quick thing to that. I maybe tend to disagree a little bit because we've seen so much new capital coming in Alternative finance, you know, tons of private equity firms and credit funds that have come in and, you know, set aside a pocket to do alternative finance to shipping. And the cost is generally way too high, totally unsustainable for any shipping segment in many cases. So I think it'll kind of limit itself a bit because I think that, you know, if there's tons of money available at 10% interest, you know, basically secure debt at 10% interest, so far, people have not been willing to take it because given where the rate environment has been, it's just not sustainable. It's really, really shooting yourself in the foot. So. Yeah, so you mentioned autonomous ships and uh, cryptocurrency and um, sanctions and all those things are happening and will happen. Uh, I am an early investor and on, uh, an advisor for Sea Machine Robotics in Boston and they've just launched their first um, uh, spill response autonomous ship in the US. So um, a few weeks ago, uh, I know a lot of us struggle with cross-border payments. Uh, you're buying a ship and the corresponding bank is not playing well nicely with the other American bank and then things get stuck. Um, so we're looking at uh, getting fiat payments through a cryptocurrency so that uh, you could cross border in the crypto but land in fiat both ways and there's startups doing that. So you just gotta figure out how to uh, make things work better. So you and would say that digitalization is not just in the ship operation but also in the ship finance itself. Correct, correct. So these, these blockchain, uh, Maersk and IBM and these people are looking at uh, how all these uh, thousands of documents trying to buy a ship or trying to, uh, and you know, and trying to export stuff and the waybills and the letters of credit and the, all that 
it's just too much paper uh, and takes too long. So yes. things will evolve and, um, and, and make life easier and, and simpler, I think. <laughs> well, we would like all to think that obviously the shipping cycle has turned and it's in the upward curve. And today, obviously, with the help of our uh, alternative financiers, um, there might be interested borrowers or investors in the room who would like to speak to them. Thank you so much for your uh, insightful input today in the panel. And I think my time is up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.